You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Great. Well, it is great to be here on a Sunday morning. You know, we've been going through this um, series of just talking about this area of our heart um, and finances and kind of the, the, the part that it plays. And uh, as, I, as I was praying about what to talk about this morning and thinking about it, I was reminded, you know, Antley, a couple years ago, he was on this, he was on this theme that, uh, is, that I think is so true, and I see it more and more. And it's this idea that God has always been about freeing us up to worship him. That if you go all the way back to, to Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter, from, from Moses to Jesus, it's about God coming to set us free so that we can worship him. Ever since we started moving away from him, he's been moving towards us. That God has been redeeming us, that is finding the value in us and bringing us back to a place of freedom to be able to worship him. And it's no different when we're talking about finances. Finances is something that it just entangles our heart and it gets to a place where we cannot worship. It, it, it hinders our ability to worship and we find, and I can remember clearly coming to church every Sunday, and while we were worshiping, all I could do was think about my, my business. All I could do was think about the money that needed to come in this month, the payroll that I needed to meet. And, and, and it was so hard for me to worship because I, 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 it was a struggle. Do I really trust? Is my hope really in God? Do I really trust him? Can I open my hands out and, and, and say, God, I worship you? Or am I thinking, God, I need, I need some accounts to come in this month, man. You know, it just, it dominated my time. It dominated my worship. It got to a place where it was hard for me to worship. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, five, ten minutes ago, as you're trying to worship, you're plagued by this area, something that is, that is hindering you from being able to worship him. What is that? What is that for you? Can you give it to him? Can you, can you, Put your finger on it. God, we pray that you would come this morning and that you would bring freedom. For those of us that are bound up in finances, we pray that we would have freedom. For those of us that are bound up in anything, God, that there, there may be sin that we just can't run away from, that we just can't deal with, and, and, it's, and it's hindering our ability to, to, to worship you this morning because we feel guilt and condemnation, and we pray that we can receive the communion that we did this morning, that it would penetrate our hearts and that we would receive freedom. God wants us to be free. To this end, Paul writes, we're going to take a look at a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. If we could bring that up, the first part, 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. This entire chapter is great, but we don't have enough time. The, this entire chapter is great because Paul is writing a letter to Timothy who's leading a church, and he's saying... There's some stuff going on that needs to be dealt with. There are some issues in the church that need to be dealt with. And he's encouraging him to do this. And it's doing it in a way that will bring us freedom. Timothy, lead your church into freedom to be able to worship him. And he's just dealt with this. <laughs> okay, if you imagine, Paul, I love Paul. Because Paul, you know, he's inspired by God. But, you know, he puts his own little flavor into the way that he communicates. And you can tell he is frustrated. Paul literally was just in jail right? I don't know, I don't know where, like, he's living. I don't know, 
I don't know that he has an apartment somewhere or a home. All I know is Paul's like, ah, he gets out of jail and he hears that people in Timothy's church are, are preaching a gospel of, hey, if you follow Jesus, you're going you're gonna to make money. That there is financial gain in this thing. And Paul's like, am I doing something wrong? And he writes to Timothy and he's like, look, godliness and, and, and financial gain, there's something wrong in your church. That these people are bound up if they really think that they're going to get rich by being Christians. And so this is where we pick up in 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Beware anyone that says that godliness is going to increase your net worth. Beware anyone who says that becoming more like God, living in the right relationship, in a faithful relationship with God, that that is going to bring you more financial gain. But godliness, that combined with contentment, contentment, being okay with what we've got, not looking, comparing ourselves to everybody else, but being content with what we have. Paul, at another point, when he talks about contentment, he says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Many of us are strangers to contentment, and it binds us up. But godliness with contentment is great gain. This combination of of godliness and contentment is what we want for our lives. This great gain is what we want. And Paul is contrasting it with what he's just talked about, with this this financial gain. That's nothing. You can have all the money in the world. That's nothing. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It is life. Later on, in just a little while, he uses the words, he says that this is the life that is truly life. If we want the life that is truly life, that is something that springs up inside of us and it it makes us enjoy the the life that we live, regardless of whether or not we're in jail worshiping Jesus or if we're a zillionaire, the life that is truly life, Paul is making the point, it is godliness and contentment. This combination, life that is truly life, God-designed, abundant life has nothing to do with the amount of stuff that we have. This is what he's saying in this, in this passage where he's, he's talking about, if, but if we have food and clothing, hey, we're good. Well, that's not good enough for us, right? That's not good enough for us. If we're honest, we live in a society where advertisements and every, everything around us is designed to show us, dude, you need to be discontent. You, what, you only have this? You only have the iPod 4? 4S so much better. The four is crap. You might as well throw that thing away. That's what, this is what you need. And I've got a 4S, so don't, don't judge me. This is for me. Trust me. This is for me. I am not kidding you. I'm putting together this, this message, right? And I'm looking over my notes, and uh, there's this website, okay? It's from the devil. It's called slickdeals.net, okay? Slickdeals.net. Steve Lazarson, where are you? You know, you have the thing, and you have to check it every day, right? It's an, it's an addiction, and it shows you the best deals from around the internet. Things that, it doesn't matter what it is, the best deals from around the internet. And so, and it, I mean, I'm saying, it's not just computer stuff, it's anything. Now, here's the rule if you're going to use slickdeals.net. You can only go there if you know what you need to buy. Don't go there thinking, hey, I wonder what's on sale. Don't do it. 
Don't do it. You have to go there and say, okay, you know, a friend of mine really needs a new monitor. I'm going to go to Slick Deals and see if there's any deals on monitors. But I did not follow this advice. Yesterday, I'm working on the talk, and I go, oh, I should go look at slickdeals.net and see, you know, what funny things are on sale. So I go to slickdeals.net, and there's, there's a deal. Like, you, you can't pass it up. It's $8. It was $8 for seven pairs of socks. I'm like... This, these are the socks that I like. I like, I, I need to get these socks. I have, I am checked out. I emailed my wife. Hey, I just got this slick deal on socks. <laughs> and then I tapped back over to my, to my talk and I was like, ooh. <laughs> it's like, that wasn't why I went to slick deal. I'm, I'm just saying this message is for, for me as well as you. It's for all of us that we, we live and we're surrounded by all of these messages that tell us either you really need this thing or, man, you can't afford not to. Dude, we're talking a dollar for a pair of socks. And here's the thing. I don't even know how much socks cost. I don't even know if that was a good deal. And I'm not kidding. There were 69 comments about the deal on socks. And I read them. I'm not. I wish it was a joke. <laughs> I have a problem. But we're surrounded by this, and it affects us. It affects us. It makes us feel discontented with what we have. It makes us want more. It makes us want something. A friend of mine grew up as a missionary in Guatemala, and he had seen, his, his parents were missionaries before him in Guatemala, and he had seen the, the change in their society when satellite TV came in. And they were so content until they got satellite TV. And then they saw what they didn't have. And, and they, they literally, I mean, they saw a rise in alcoholism and depression as a result of them being able to see what the rest of the world had. But before that, they were fine. They were just, they were content. We experience that every day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Again, this is for me. I'm confessing. So AT&T has, has a slick deal on uh, UVerse. So, so you get UVerse, right? Well, now we got all these channels. We start wa- now we're watching commercials we've never watched before. My poor, my poor kid, Tommy, he's getting to watch shows. Like, he only gets to watch PBS, right? He's only watching stuff with no commercials. Now he's watching stuff on, like, Cartoon Network, like the, you know, Star Wars. And there's commercials. In every commercial, Tommy's like, I need that. Oh, my God, how do I not have that? Those kids on TV, they have it, and it looks like fun. Why don't I have that? And I'm like, oh, what am I exposing my kid to? This is what we see. This is what we're exposed to. And even in our society, there, we recognize this link between depression, discontentment, and our stuff. Our homes have gotten bigger. The average square footage, look, and, and by the way, it doesn't matter. You say, oh, this is before the housing crisis. No, it's not. Everything that I've looked at was after, the, after 2006. Some of them was after 2008. Our homes have gotten bigger. The families have gotten smaller. We have more square footage in our house and and smaller families. All of this stuff. And the stuff, the stuff that we need is being confused with the stuff that we want or the stuff that we're told that we need. One of the things that um, I get to do every once in a while is help people with their budgets, help people put together their family budgets. And it's amazing (laughs) what people think they need. Like when you start off, okay, let's start your budget. Let's, let's just be easy. Let's start with the things that you absolutely need. And what happens is we live in a culture that tells us you need internet. You need 
cable TV. You need cell phone. You need a data plan for your cell phone. You need a Starbucks allowance, a restaurant allowance. And so all these things become things that we need. And it's all this pressure. Now, imagine the burden that puts on us in order to be able to meet those financial needs. Needs. <laughs> and we actually believe it. It's a burden on us. I'm not saying those things are bad. Hopefully. I'm not saying that it's bad stuff. I'm just saying if it's keeping you bound up, if your finances don't add up, let it go. Let it go. Maybe it's time to get rid of cable. Maybe it's time to get rid of internet. Maybe it's time to get rid of some of these things that you think you need that you don't, that you've been told that you need, but you don't. Jesus says, God, give us our daily bread and our cable TV and our rent and our restaurant budget. You know, like Jesus is making this point. There is contentment to be found in God. Give us our bread. Paul, in this verse, is saying if we have food and clothing, I can find contentment in that. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard. I mean, if Jesus is warning us about something, you'd think it's a pretty big deal. Watch out. Be on your guard. Those of you who flip channels and watch commercials, those of you who have an internet browser with slickdeals.net right there up in the top, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And this is where I think most of us really get hit. And this is this idea that as we look at that, it's a lifestyle that's being sold to us. This is what marketers are so great at, is selling us not just a product, but a lifestyle. A lifestyle that is being sold to us and it comes at a great cost to us. Spouses or parents who settle for less are considered to be guilty of failing to love as they should because they're not providing as best as possible for their family. Think about this. There's so much pressure. If you are a parent, there's so much pressure. You have to own a home. You have to, you have to have, own a home for your kids. And every kid needs to have their own bedroom, right? You need to be able to, to if, if you're in the Duval County schools, you need to be thinking about private schools. If you're a good parent, if you're a good parent, you're going to be put, putting money away for those things. You're going to be putting money away for, for college, a car when the kid turns 16. Certainly, if you're a good parent, you're going to provide that. Your kid needs a cell phone, don't they? I want a cell phone so I can track them. But you know what I mean? There's this pressure. <laughs> Did that slip out? All of my issues are just... All of this pressure to live up to this lifestyle that we think that we have to have, that we have to have these things. Otherwise, I'm not a good parent. And so I have to go and work extra hours, extra jobs to be able to live up to this lifestyle. We have to work so hard and we are so bound up trying to live out this lifestyle that it hinders our ability to worship. It hinders our ability to be free in front of God. I've talked to career folks that they go all the way through college and they get their job and they absolutely hate it. But you know what? I just spent four years in school studying this thing. I need to do it. No, you don't. You think you do. You think you do because you've been sold that. Well, I can't quit this job and go work over here. I'd make half as much money. Who cares? Wouldn't you rather be happy? God would say, wouldn't you rather be free? Paul would say godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, 
You hate your job? Quit. You hate your job? Go, find something else. I can't, I can't be with my kids. I'm too busy working to provide the house that my, my kids need. I honestly, Paul would say, get a smaller house. Get an apartment. We go, well, I'd be a bad parent. Has anybody watched The Middle? The Middle is a, a TV show. I, I watch a lot of TV. The Middle is a TV show. And this week, get off my back. The Middle is a TV show. And uh, it's really funny. And it's like, this, you know, middle class, you know, family. And, and they start toying with the idea of giving up the house and moving into an apartment. And I just, I think it's so funny because that's, that's, we would never consider that. For some of us, you know, we're facing foreclosure. We're facing, you know, upside down in our houses. And we're thinking, what, what on earth could I do? And the last thing we would ever consider is moving into an apartment. And so the whole episode was just about how crazy good apartment life can be. You know, you don't have to deal with any fixing your all stuff and whatever. But what's my point? There's a point in here. That maybe God would say, it's okay. You're not a bad parent. You're not a bad parent if every kid doesn't have their own room. You're not a bad parent if you can't afford a house. Our culture, you know, and we're, and we're reaping this right now. For so long, the American culture has been, you need to buy a house. <laughs> you need to buy a house. We'll help you buy a house. Even if it makes no sense at all, we'll help you. You don't have enough money. Don't worry. You need a house. We will help you. What's my point? This is just one, this is just one thing that we tick off on a list of a lifestyle that we need to attain that binds us up and makes it hard for us to worship. Why? Because we're working so hard and we feel all this pressure and we look around and like they have this big house, I don't, or whatever. We start comparing ourselves to other people and it binds us up. We need to have a big house. We need to have a car for each of us. We need to have a college fund. Man, working with teenagers... There was nothing that was sadder than you would know these kids just wanted their parents, man. And their parents loved their kids, but they worked so hard they were never there. And they would say, if you were to challenge them and be like, hey, you know, what's the, you know, the kids were kind of hoping that you could be there for this thing that we're doing. And, you know, oh yeah, but I need to work. And they love their kids, but you know what? I want to make sure that they're provided for. I want to make sure that 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 money's there for them to be able to go to any college they want. I want to make sure that they get whatever the stuff that they need is. And it's like, man, what they need is you. What they need is you, but you're so busy trying to provide this thing that you think they need that you're missing what they really need, which is you. This small amount of time that you have with them before. I don't know. I don't have any teenagers. Okay? It's just from working with teenagers, I could see it. I could see that they wanted—this is what a teenager wants. They don't want to be around you. They just want to be able to blow you off on their own, you know, agenda. Okay? They want to know that you're there so they can blow you off. Freedom. Jesus and Paul both make this point that we can be enslaved to our stuff. Andy Stanley makes a point that the times that we're most content, if we look back in our lives, the times that we're most content, we probably had the least amount of stuff. The times that we were most content was probably when we had the least amount of stuff. If we really want to experience freedom and the life, the way that God has designed 
it to be lived. We have to be free of our stuff. Amen. Next verse. <laughs> There's only a couple more. Oh, boy. All right. People who want to get rich. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. So Paul is continuing on. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves, pierced themselves with many griefs. We can hear that, and some of us are already thinking, we know exactly what that feels like to be plunged. The idea is as if to drown. We know what it's like to be pierced with griefs. Real statistics here. If I, okay, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to communicate this. If we were to cut the church in a little bit more than half, let's just say these guys over here, they, just over half, would have credit card debt of over $15,000. Average credit card debt for somebody who has credit card debt is $15,000. You guys over here, you're good. No debt. You guys over here, you have credit cards in over $15,000 balance that you're revolving every month. Statistically. And you're like, oh, well, certainly that's before. No, it's not before the financial crisis. That's from April 2010. That's not that long ago. People still have this attitude of debt. Man, I need more stuff. Good thing I got this card. I can go get it. And what happens is we have this revolving debt. Over half of the church has $15,000 on average revolving in credit card debt. And if you're like, well, not me, I only have $5,000. Well, just, just think what that means for the other people. Somebody has twenty, twenty-five. We, as a church, it's no difference. We carry debt, just like everybody else. And Paul is making this point. This will plunge you into ruin and destruction. This idea that we will just give our hearts away, that we will just give our working hours, give our, the money that God is bringing in to these creditors. And by the way, the average interest rate is about 13%. 13% has been paying on that $15,000. And our society tells us that debt isn't a big deal. And Paul would say, it is in this attempt to live a lifestyle that you can't afford that you're doing this. And it will plunge you into destruction and ruin. Okay, one other thing about debt. Paul says this. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free and we celebrate it in communion. And Paul says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery in the first century was debt. If you were indebted, you were enslaved to the person that you were indebted to. We are enslaved. Half of our church is enslaved by credit card debt. If we really want to experience freedom in the life, that, the way that God has designed it to be lived, we need to be free from debt. We need to be free from living outside of our means in some attempt to live a lifestyle that's not correct. Okay. Now we're definitely going to skip the next section. And we're going to go right to 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And he says this. He says, command those who are rich. Paul is saying, Timothy, command. Tell those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Don't put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And you go, yeah, you tell the rich that, Timothy. You need to tell the rich that. They need to hear this stuff. We are the 99. Tell that 1%. They need to hear this message that the rich need to be generous, man. They need to give. Okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not making fun of the movement. I'm not, I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying. <laughs> Ailey's like, damage control. <laughs> I just want to say this. Just think about this for a second. If you have a job, you are in the top 5% of the world. If you have a, have a salary, and you know, the numbers are really hard to come by. So just know, I'm, I'm, I'm being somewhat liberal. One place that I found was about $40,000 puts you in the top 5%. If you make more than $40,000, you're in the top 5% of the world. Most of us have never dealt with, do I have money to eat? Most of that credit card debt, how much of that do you think is Publix? Winn-Dixie? Not much. How much of it is clothing? Well, no, that's not a good one. We are the rich. Paul's already made the point. He's like, man, if I have food and clothes, I'm good. Jesus says, when you go to your Father in heaven, you ask, give me my daily bread. We are rich. Those of us who have never worried, where am I going to get my next meal? How, how am I going to eat tomorrow? Those of us who have never dealt with that, we are the rich. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you're a young pastor, man, but you need to hear this. You need to tell the rich. You need to command them to be generous with what they've been given. You need to command them not to put their hope in their wealth. Because that's our tendency, is to put our hope in our wealth. And God lays down commands. And he tells us to do certain things because he knows our hearts. And he doesn't want us to put our hope in our wealth. But we screw it up. And we turn it into a law. We turn it into a religion. We turn it into something that we beat up other people with. For example, for example, God says... Take a day off a week. Take the Sabbath and rest. And we say, Oh Lord, smiter of people to be smitten. I shall take off one day a week and the Sabbath and shall maintain it holy. And those that don't will be stoned. And, and God's like, well, uh, Take a break from work. Because your hearts in this area will, will get screwed up will become off balance and you will work so much that you are no longer free to worship me. And so take one day a week and, oh, holy Lord, 14% of my time shall be set aside for you. And God's like, it's your heart I'm after. And Jesus comes on the scene and remember they're beating him up over the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, really? Really? That's what you think God meant? That the Sabbath was created so that you could beat up other people? The Sabbath was created for you. Because God wanted you to be free in this area of your life. And we as New Testament grace-filled Christians, we know that we don't need the law. We don't need that anymore. 
But what we tend to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is an underlying heart principle that the law uncovers. The Sabbath, God says, set it aside. Why? Because otherwise your life will become unbalanced. I'm going to say it, the tithe. The tithe, whether you believe in the 10% or not, we know that God said this is an area of your heart that can get out of balance. And I am saying, take, and, and I'm sure this is what happened. Is Moses is like, how much, Lord? It's an area of your life that's going to get screwed. How much? Just give me a number. Just anything. Just throw out a number. Just spitball something. And God's like, I don't want your money. I want your heart. I want you to be free to worship. I just need a number, Lord. They need a number. <laughs> and it's like 10%. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he's like, you guys are missing the boat. You're great at your 10%, but you're missing. Your heart is still bound up. Your hope is not in God. Your hope is in your wealth. And Paul is saying, command those of us today to not put our hope in our wealth, to not put our hope that this area of our life would not be out of balance. (laughs) So let me pray. (laughs) Holy Spirit, come. We know that where you are, there is freedom. We know, Holy Spirit, where you reign, there is freedom. And so we pray that you would set us free this morning. Help us to seek you first, to put you first in our families, in our possessions, in our finances. Fill us with your hope, that our hope would be in you and that we can experience life that is truly life.